All right, thank you so much for joining us today. If you would, please take your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, and I'm honored that you would join us, and I hope this will be an absolute help to you and something that will encourage you uh, today. According to a Business Insider article, just a few minutes after United Airlines Flight 175 struck the South Tower of the World Trade Center, 24-year-old Wells Crowther called his mother and calmly left a voicemail. Mom, this is Wells. I want you to know that I'm okay. Crowther was an equities trader at Sandler O'Neill and Partners on the 104th floor. But after that call, the man who was a volunteer firefighter in his teens made his way down to the 78th floor sky lobby and became a hero to strangers known only as the man in the red bandana. He said, uh, the uh, article continues, amid the smoke, chaos, and debris, Crowther helped injured and disoriented office workers to safety, risking his own life in the process. Though they couldn't see much through the haze, those he saved recalled a tall figure wearing a red bandana to shield his lungs and mouth. He had come down to the 78th floor sky lobby, an alcove in the building with express elevators meant to speed up trips to the ground floor. In what's been described as a strong, authoritative voice, Crowther directed survivors to the stairway and encouraged them to help others while he carried an injured woman on his back. After bringing her 15 floors down to safety, he made his way back up to help others. Everyone who can stand, stand now, Crowther told survivors while directing them to a stairway exit. If you can help others, do so. He's definitely my guardian angel. No ifs, ands, or buts, because without him, we would be sitting there waiting until the building came down, said a survivor, Ling Young. Crowther is credited with saving at least a dozen people that day. Crowther's body was later recovered alongside firefighters in a stairwell, heading back up the tower with the jaws of life. You see, when tragedy strikes, there are two reactions. There are two different reactions when tragedy strikes. First of all, self-preservation. Self-preservation, I have to get out of here as fast as I possibly can, leave and run, and the second is sacrifice. Sacrifice. Wells Crowther was one who did not care about his personal life. He cared about helping others. He sacrificed himself for the sake of others. When tragedy strikes, there are two reactions. Self-preservation or sacrifice. Now let me ask you this question. Which one brings joy? Which one brings joy? Which one brings more fulfillment? You say, Pastor Yeomans, that's crazy. Why are, you, why are we talking about a, a tragedy, a, a hard thing, and talking about joy? Well, there will be many who say this, self-preservation will bring joy, brings more joy. Again, in this particular instance, those people who ran out of the buildings and left, they are safe. They can have joy. They have their children. They have their spouses. They have their things, and they can experience joy in the memories made with these people. And while I can agree that there will be opportunities for great memories down the road for these people, and there can be happiness, I want you to understand that this is not the true definition of joy. 
It's not joy. If you're in the habit of writing things down, I want to challenge you to write this down. Joy can only come from sacrifice. Joy can only come from sacrifice. Now, what most of the time we as preachers do here is we'll create what is, what is called a false dichotomy. If you don't sacrifice, you can't have joy. You either have one or the other. You self-preservation or sacrifice. We, you can either have one or the other. The truth of the matter is this, though. Most of us live our lives somewhere in the middle of self-preservation and sacrifice. Basically, we live somewhere in the middle of, of, of enjoying some things for ourselves and sacrificing them for other people. And let's just be honest with ourselves this morning. When everything is going well, when uh, we have everything we need, we, uh, I mean, the, the cars are paid for, the house is paid for. I mean, everything's really seemingly going well. We have everything we could possibly think of. That's when we usually start looking out. And we start looking at other things and we, we look at giving to charities, we look at giving our time, we look at volunteering, we try to reach out and help other people, usually when things are kind of nice and neat for us. Oh, everything may not be paid off, but things are, we're not in a chaotic situation. We have this sense of joy by giving back to our community, by giving back to those less fortunate. And listen, I'm, I'm not trying to say that can't uh, be helpful and that will have a profound effect and a profound impact on your life and on the lives of other people. But again, this does not truly describe what joy is. This does not truly portray sacrifice. I want to preach to you a message this morning that I've simply entitled, Your Joy with Sacrifice. Your joy with sacrifice. And as we continue to look at our course, your course with joy, we must understand that joy comes from sacrifice. You say, Pastor Yeomans, how do you know this? Well, the Bible tells us, Philippians chapter 2, look with me in verse 1. Philippians chapter 2, look with me in verse 1. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies. Watch this verse 2. He says, Fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing, verse 3, be done through strife or vainglory. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not. Every man on his own things but every man also on the things of others. Let's pray and we'll get into this passage. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Thank you so much for the opportunity to serve you, to give ourselves to you because you first gave yourself for us. Thank you so much for dying on the cross for our sins. Thank you so much for the opportunity to experience what true, real joy is. Not just a temporary happiness, but an eternity of true joy. Father, we love you and we're so thankful for this time. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Philippians is a book written 
about joy. The whole theme of it is joy. And Paul said that he wants to finish his course with joy. And he really lays out for us here in the book of Philippians ways that we can experience joy. We looked last week at chapter 1 and talked about how we can focus on others and make sure we have a positive perspective. And we looked also at the glorious goal of the gospel, of giving the gospel out. But Paul really starts to delve in here on that positive perspective on others. I want you to see very simply, first of all this morning, I want you to see mind control. Mind control. When I say mind control, what do you think? You think, oh no, that's not a good thing, right? You think that's a bad thing. And I tend to agree with you when I hear that. I don't want somebody controlling my mind. I don't want a device or uh, any of those things manipulating my mind. I want to be a free thinker. I want to think for myself. But please hear me. Don't miss this. I, I don't care if you miss the rest of the sermon, but don't miss this. You are in control of your mind. You are in control of your mind, your thought process, how you think, what you think, what you dwell on, uh, all of those different things. You are in control of your mind. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 5, the Bible says this, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So we are in control. We, we have the opportunity, we have the power to cast down imaginations. The things that are against God, the things that uh, go against the knowledge of God, and then bring those things into captivity. We have that power. We have that opportunity. This is so often what we do, though. So often we know what is good to do in our minds, but we just don't do them. We know what's right. We understand our thought process can think, I know that it is right, but we just don't do that. So for instance, we happen to know that it's a good thing, it's right to eat well and exercise, don't we? Every one of us knows that. I know that I should eat well and I know I should get some exercise, but guess what? We don't do it. In fact, when the Twinkies come out, that's the first thing we're going to because we want those things. We know that we are supposed to be kind. We know that we are supposed to be long-suffering. But guess what? We don't do that. We know what to do. We just often don't do that. We know that we're supposed to forgive one another, as the Bible says. But guess what? We don't do it. We, we think something, but we never do it. And so I want you to understand, you are in control of your mind, how you think. It's mind control. But I want to progress this a little bit. Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 3, the Bible says this. Commit thy works unto the Lord. And listen to this. And thy thoughts shall be established. Listen to that again. Commit thy works unto the Lord and thy thoughts shall be established. Commit thy works unto the Lord and thy thoughts shall be established. Listen, you are going to commit yourself to doing the right thing. Let me ask you this morning, what is the right thing? What's the right thing to do? What is the correct thing to do? Listen, so many of us are struggling with the right thing to do. But I want you to understand the word of God has something very important to say about doing the right thing. If we study the word of God and understand the word of God, we will know what the right thing to do is. And when we commit ourselves to doing it, 
your thoughts or you will establish your thoughts. You will establish your thoughts. So basically, this is what you'll do. You'll take your thoughts. I know it's right to eat and eat well and exercise. Until you begin eating well and exercising, you don't really know that that's the case. You hear it, you understand it, but until you, you do it, you don't really cement those things in your mind. I've had the opportunity to begin uh, a bit of running. I, I've enjoyed that. Running, and I enjoy running uh, to some extent. I don't love it. I just enjoy being outside. And so I, we, we run and we do these things. And listen, all my life I've thought, I know it's good to run. I know it's good to run. But now I'm beginning to see the effects of that running in my life. I can walk up a set of stairs now without breathing hard. It's amazing. I'm 32 years old and I have to say that. It's terrible. I know, but I want you to understand this. That has cemented my thoughts and confirmed them. Confirming my theory that, yes, it is good to run. So let me ask you this question. How can we establish our minds on other people? We're supposed to have a positive perspective on other people. And I'm supposed to think well about other people. I'm supposed to forgive other people. I'm supposed to look on other people instead of myself, verse 4 of Philippians chapter 2. So how do I establish my thoughts? How do I establish that? I know it's right, but how do I establish it? I want you to see just a couple things here. Number one, I want you to see that we should know them. That we should know them. If we're going to establish our minds, then we must know them. Let's get very real this morning. Most of us do not know, and I mean know, very many people. We may know their names. We may know who they are. We may know what they do. But listen, most of us do not know very many people. We say hello, we have a shallow conversation with people, but how many people do we really, really know? I think it's important that in order to know someone, we must talk with them. Talk with them, have a conversation. I realize that this time is difficult on us all. I realize that this uh, predicament that we find ourselves in immediately is, is difficult, but let me get very, very pointed with you. How many people have you called in the last month? How many people have you reached out to in the last month? How many people with, have you spoken with and tried to encourage? How many people have you just tried to get to know? Just talk with them. Listen, I, you, technology is amazing. I mean, you can talk face-to-face -face with someone over a device. Now, I understand it's not the real thing. We know that. We understand that. But I want, how many people have you just tried to get to know? I've had several people just this week say to me, I'm lonely. I'm lonely. And I, I understand that it's hard. This is hard, but listen, who have you talked to this week? Listen, I'm not asking you to get to know all 150 people in our church. I'm not asking you to call them this week and get to know every single one of you. I'm asking you simply this, that you call one person. Just one. Just one person this week and get to know one person. Somebody that you may not know in particularly well. Somebody that you may see in the comments. Somebody that you may see that you think, who is that? Listen, try and understand them. Get to know them. Talk to them. Understand where they're coming from. 
Call someone you don't know this week and just get to know them. Listen, how, how am I going to do that? I am going to commit my works unto the Lord. And then my thoughts shall be established. I know it's good to encourage. I know it's good to sacrifice. I know it's good to do the right thing. How are we going to do that? Just get to know them. Number two, I want you to see this very simply. Pray for them. Pray for them. What do we pray for? Pray for their struggles. Listen, if you get to know somebody, pretty soon you'll find out their struggles. Pray for their hardships. Pray for their children. Pray for their spouse. Pray that they, uh, for their job. Pray for uh, their, I mean, their health. I mean, there's so many things you can pray for. But listen, the more you get to know someone, the better you understand them, the better you can pray for them. Pray for someone this week. Listen, we all, our church puts out a list of people that we uh, pray for every week. And I think that's great. I think that's wonderful. When was the last time we walked through that list and called some of those people and said, how are you doing? How can I better pray for you? How, what, what are your feelings? What are your emotions? What are, what's your mind thinking right now? Pray for them. And then thirdly, I want you to see this. We need to empathize with them. Empathize with them. What does that mean? Put yourself in their shoes. Put yourself in their shoes. Basically, you need to say, I wonder what they are going through right now. I wonder what they're going through. Right? Have you ever done that? Have you ever taken your mind off of your situation and thought, I wonder what that person that I just called, that person that I got to know this week, I wonder what they're going through right now. I wonder how they feel. I want you to jump down to Philippians chapter 2 and verse 25. I want to give you an example. Paul gives us an example of a, of a man who empathized. Look at verse 25, the Bible says this, Yet I, being Paul, supposed it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger. Watch what he did. And he that ministered to my wants. So this guy, his first thing that Paul says about him was that he ministered to my wants. Not my needs, my wants. He just was there to help Paul in any way he could. But look at, look at verse 26. The Bible says this, For he longed after you all and was full of, look at this, heaviness. Why? Because that he heard, that, excuse me, because that ye had heard that he had been sick. He heard that you guys heard that he had been sick. And the Bible continues in verse 27, He was sick nigh unto death. He was, he was in a hard place and all Epaphroditus could do, he was heavy-hearted because he knew you would be heavy-hearted. He knew that you were sorry for him. Listen, that's empathizing. Oh, I'm sick, I'm down in, in a lowly place, but all I can think about is the Philippian people who know that I am hurting, and they're probably sad because I'm in a bad place. And that makes me heavy-hearted. Listen, that is a person who cares that's a person who, I mean, most of us, when we're sick, what do we think about? We think about ourselves. We think about, oh, man, I'm sick. Uh, uh, somebody ought to call me. Somebody ought to give, bring me a meal. Somebody ought to do something nice for me. How come nobody, I've been sick for a month and nobody, listen, that is not what this man did. This man looked on the things of others. He was heavy hearted because that ye had heard that he had been sick. Wow. 
most of it, he was just, he was just full of empathy for other people caring about him. He wanted to be the best that he could. Listen, when you are doing these things, when you know people, when you talk with them, when you understand them, when you pray for them, and when you empathize with them, guess what you're doing? You are establishing your thoughts. Listen, all of us, every one of us knows that we ought to look at other people. We ought to see them. We ought to have them in a positive perspective. We, we all know that. But isn't it time that we started putting those things into action? When you establish your thoughts, guess what you're doing? You are controlling your mind. You are telling yourself what to do. You are cementing the good thoughts. And so I want to challenge you fervently this week. Pick up the phone. Call someone. I know, I know this is a practical message. But it's needed. In order to have joy, it must come through sacrificing our view of ourselves. And it must come to looking at the needs of others and knowing them, understanding them, praying for them, and empathizing with them. Just saying, I wonder how they feel. Before long, you'll begin to see yourself in a different light. You'll have joy. So oftentimes, in times like these, we sit back and we play the woe is me card. Woe is me. I'm this and I'm that and I have all of these problems. Listen, this morning it's time to tell yourself something different. You don't have to look very far to find someone who has it worse off than you. Listen, you don't have to look very far at all. There are a lot of people who have major problems Get to know those people. Get to know them. Pray for them. Empathize with them. So the first point is control your mind. Mind control. The second is this. The gift of sacrifice. The gift of sacrifice. Let's go back to Philippians chapter 2. Look with me in verse 17. The Bible says this. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith... Look what Paul says, I joy and rejoice with you all. That's amazing. Look at verse 18. For the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. This is so incredible. Paul says very simply this, if I am to be poured out because of what you have given and sacrificed for your faith, then I joy. Listen, the Philippian church had, had done so many things. They had uh, walked with Paul. They had encouraged Paul. They had sacrificed for Paul. They had done so many things for Paul. And Paul says, listen, if I'm going to sacrifice on top of that sacrifice, then great. We know that Paul was stoned. We know that Paul was beaten. We know that Paul was writing this from prison in Rome. We understand that Paul is being sacrificed and these people are sacrificing so that Paul can be sacrificed. And he says, listen, I joy in that. And so do you. You rejoice with me. I rejoice with you all. Listen, everybody's sacrificing. They're all giving. They're all gifting things. And he's happy. He's happy to give himself. Paul said, most gladly, therefore, will I rather spend and be spent for you. He's like, I just want to give myself. I just want to sacrifice myself for you. He's happy to live himself, or excuse me, to live his life for someone else. 
He is happy to sacrifice. Look at, he says, I joy. I joy and rejoy. Rejoice with you. It's just a constant joy. And then in verse 18, he says, and the same cause also ye do joy and rejoice with me. It's just this constant giving, constant sacrifice, constant joy going both ways. He's happy to sacrifice. They are joyful because of the sacrifice that they have given to Paul. The Bible says that we ought to esteem others better than ourselves. Verse 3 of Philippians chapter 2. Think about this. When two people esteem each other better than themselves and sacrifice for each other, it just brings joy. I want you to think about a marriage. This is, I think, the most easy and most clear definition of this. If a husband and a wife are sacrificing and esteeming each better than themselves and the husband is sacrificing for the wife and the wife is sacrificing for the husband and they both esteem each better than themselves, listen to me, it is a perfect, almost almost perfect marriage. It is a joyful marriage. Those people are happily married. Those are the marriages that last. It's joyful. It's exciting. And the same is true in our relationship with God. Our same is true in our relationships with other people. Look at John chapter 15 and verse 10 through 11. The Bible says this. God says this. If ye keep my commandments, if ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you. Why? That, your, that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. You see what God just said? Listen, keep my commandments as I have kept my Father's commandments. Hey, sacrifice what your wants. Sacrifice your desires. Sacrifice for me. And my joy will be in you and your joy will be full. Amazing. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, a verse most of us probably know. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable unto God. Why? Your reasonable service. I want you to picture this with me. I want you to picture this is so important. This just does not just happen in the good times. Picture this. Picture a husband and a wife. Picture a relationship in which both are sacrificing, not just in the good times, in the loss of a job, in the loss of a child, the loss of, I mean, you, you think anything. Listen, this is a lifestyle. This is a choice. This is a decision. This sacrifice happens even when we're hurting. This sacrifice happens even when our conditions aren't ideal. Even when we have trouble. Because this is exactly the type of love, the type of joy that Jesus did for us. I want you to go back to verse 5 of Philippians chapter 2. The Bible says this. It says, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. 
What mind? What mind? Go to verse 4. Look not every man on the things, his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Jesus had this mind. Verse 6 says, Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. Verse 8, and being found in fashion as a man. Look what he did. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death. Even the death of the cross. Do you know what Jesus Christ did? Jesus Christ looked at you. And he said to you, I'm going to esteem you better than myself. And I'm going to come to this earth. I'm equal with God. I, I'm, I, I am God in the flesh. I'm going to die. I'm going to take your place. I'm going to put you up. I'm going to look at your needs Instead of my own. You see, Jesus saw that we had a need. And the need was very simply, we need a Savior. We are sinners. That sin condemns us to hell and we need a Savior. And so he, God looked down. God so loved the world that he gave the gift. The gift. Listen, it's so important. Gave his only begotten Son. So important to realize that Jesus sacrificed himself. Literally, Jesus put himself in our shoes. He lived like us. He was tempted like us. But when things got worse, when people began to look at him and despise him and shout, crucify him, crucify him. When things got worse, guess what he didn't do? He didn't do self-preservation and just get out of there. The Bible says that he could have called 10,000 angels at any time. He didn't self-preserve. He sacrificed. The Bible says in Hebrews, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Sacrifice brings joy because of his sacrifice and because of his joy Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 we just read he asks us to sacrifice for him so that we can have true joy do you see if you look back Philippians chapter 2 Paul says yea and if I be offered upon the sacrifice in verse 17 in service of your faith I joy and rejoice with you and the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. Listen, Jesus Christ sacrificed for us and he has joy and he's asking us to sacrifice for him and have joy. And there's people that have sacrificed for you and have joy. Isn't it about time we sacrifice for them and have joy? Listen, when everybody's sacrificing for everybody, when everybody's looking on things not of their own dealing, but on the things every man of another and begins sacrificing and sacrificing and giving and giving and continuing and continuing joy is built on joy is built on joy is built on joy and joy and joy and joy listen joy comes from sacrifice let me ask you this morning are you willing to sacrifice are you willing to take your eyes off of yourself are you willing to look on the needs of someone else and when it just doesn't seem like we can give any more, we sacrifice. I can think of a few people in my life that I believe are godly, godly people 
that are joy-filled people. And listen, they have gone through some very, very difficult times. And guess what they keep doing? They keep giving. They keep sacrificing. Listen, it is a lifestyle to them. Most of us, if we're, if we're honest, most of us, if things start to go awry here in our lives, we don't look outward. And that's when we start losing our joy. We're trying to hang on to joy and it's just seeping through our hands. God does things differently than we do. God says in order to have joy, don't look at yourself. Begin looking outward. Begin looking at someone else. Begin seeing them. Begin sacrificing for them. I love what the Bible says here in the first part. It says, if there be any, therefore, any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy. And if, if there's any compassion in you, start looking outward. If there's any amount of love in you, start looking outward. We need to find a way to sacrifice. Because even in these times, even in hard times, we can still have joy. Your course with joy. No matter what comes, no matter what goes, Paul says, I want to finish my course with joy. Listen, we can have that same thing. And here Paul says, I joy when I sacrifice. And when you sacrifice, you joy. This is the pathway. This is the joy. You can live your life in self-preservation. That's natural. You can live your life living for yourself, but joy will not come until you sacrifice. God's ways are not our ways. The way up is down. He who humbles himself shall be exalted. He who exalteth himself shall be abased. Listen, if you want to be master, you need to be servant. God's way is far different than ours. The way to have joy is to sacrifice. Let me ask you this question very simply. What decision, you're in control of your mind, what decision will you make on your course today? Will you make a decision today to control your mind Establish your thoughts by knowing someone, by praying for them, by empathizing with them, and begin to sacrifice for them. Live your course with joy. Don't let, don't let this time depress you. Let it be a joyful time. Let it be a time that, listen, the world's going crazy, things look dark, things look bleak. Let's be the light of the world. Light of joy in this dark and desperate time because we've looked at the needs of others. We will finish our course with joy, just like Jesus did, because he sacrificed himself for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Father, there may be one that listens today does not know you as personal Savior, does not know what you did for them, does not know that they need a Savior. Father, I pray that if they 
are aware of that today. They're aware that they are a sinner. They are aware that they need a savior. Then, Father, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. Today they would know Jesus Christ. Father, for those of us who already know, so thankful for that. Thank you for fulfilling your joy and sacrificing for us. Now, Father, would you help us to sacrifice for you? Would you help us to sacrifice for others around us so that we can experience the joy that you've set before us? Sacrifice for those around us. I pray that today we would make a decision to have joy. Father, we pray all these things in your name. I'm going to ask you to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if you would, at home there. I'm going to ask you to make some sort of decision today. And again, I challenge you to write this down, date it, so that you can go back. But maybe today you may need to make a decision, something to the effect of, I will sacrifice so that I might experience joy. Maybe you need to write down, I will look on the needs of others before myself so that I might have joy. Maybe you need to write down, I will not count my life dear that I might finish my course with joy. I don't know what decision for sure you need to make personally. But I want to give you some time to make that decision. And I challenge you, write it down, get your phone out, type it in the notes, something, and date that thing so you know when you've made the decision to experience joy in your life. Let's give you that time right now.